Let's go to the Word. Let's go to the Word. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be picking back up where we left off last week with verse 11, and we'll take the rest of chapter 2. Now, if you remember that the false teachers that came against the Colossian church had these various elements of thinking that were permeating like a cancer into the body of Christ there in Colossae. Now, keep in mind, here is a body of believers that Paul's writing to that he's never met. He's never even been to Colossae. This is just fruit from the ministry that he started in an Ephesus. And the Epaphras was someone who was, he was able to bring to the Lord and raise him up and disciple him. And he was the pastor of that church. And he got word of what was going on, the wonderful church that had started there, but also the threats that were coming against the church. And there's nothing new under the sun because the scripture, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that gave the power of writing down these words for the time such as that to these Colossian believers, this, the word of God is also applies to us today. And as we go through this, you will see this is nothing new under the sun. And you see how the enemy worked then and it continues to work in and around and trying to destroy the body of believers. But this, this elements of thinking were creeping into the church, this humanistic philosophy, the, the astrology, the, the, these, this Eastern mysticism and, and Jewish legalism that was creeping into the church, and people were starting to blend things. Now, in the beginning, if you remember in chapter 1, in the beginning of chapter 2, that had not happened really. It started to creep in. It was just starting, and, God, and, and Paul is trying to warn the believers and, and, and encourage them, don't listen. Listen to these false teachers. He even said, I was praying for Lady Osea because that too, that church was creeping into that church as well. And we see here, he says, don't listen to these, this legalism that was creeping in, was taking this, this new life in Christ, but adding to their faith in Jesus Christ alone. But he, they said, no, you still need to do this Old Testament mosaic law kinds of stuff. For the legalists, those Jewish legalists that were coming in, they were saying, yes, I know you have a relationship with Jesus, but you also needed to do the Mosaic law. You needed to be circumcised. You need to have a dietary laws to follow the kosher laws. You need to come, go to church on Sabbath, a certain day at a certain time. You must dress a certain way. These things were creeping in because if you didn't do those, then you really are not saved. You must have these to be saved, not just Jesus and Christ alone in faith, but you also had to do these religious things to really be, uh, uh, be really pleasing God and, and be saved. Then you had these Gnostics, these, these Gnostic legalists that we learned last week in verses 8 through 10. We see that these Gnostics had a different approach with the same tool you got to take the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law, and you have to add those to your life because that will make you more spiritual. You'll become a spirit elite. In the church world, if you don't do these things, hmm, you don't, you don't go to church only on a certain day? You don't, you don't dress a certain way? Do you, you, know, you, you can eat freely of anything? Are you sure you're, you can't eat meat on Fridays? You can only have fish on Fridays. Does that sound familiar to you? Now, we may not call it the Gnostic 
legalism. We may not call it the Jewish legalism. But these same elements are creeping in, the men's philosophy. So you'll hear a lot of teaching taking men's psychology and psychobabble and merging it in into the, and adding to the word of God. It's not in the word of God, but they'll add to it anyway because it really makes you feel good. Because it's something you can do. This living by faith alone in the relationship with Jesus is just, someone has to add something, so we have to do something. We have to show that we're religious. And Paul says, no, you don't get wrapped up into these kinds of things. It's, it's, Paul made it clear that Jesus Christ alone is sufficient for, for our every spiritual need, for all of God's fullness is in him. We've learned that in verse 9 of chapter 2. And last week we see that the first wrong or the first challenge, the warning that he's warning these believers there in Colossae is saying in verses 8 through 10, Gnosticism's wrong. It's all wrong. You do not put your, your faith in these things of religion, but you must keep the deity is in Christ. He is the head of the church. He is the head of the body. He is your authority. That is where you must keep it and never allow anything or anyone else or any other stinking thing can come into to sway you from that relationship of putting him number one in your life. James 1.26 says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, have control over that tongue, but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. Oh, how many times you hear, oh, you people in church, you, you say one thing, but the things that come out of your mouth is just nothing but vile and wickedness. Your religion is useless. There'll be no fruitfulness. There'll be no growth from it. There'll be nothing that will be fruitful coming from it that people can partake from your life because it's just all talk. There's no practice in following up behind it that is in line with it. Remember, true Christian philosophy takes captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Obedient to the, what the Word of God says. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Also, if one loves wisdom, that is not coming from the word of God, not coming from Christ, since the total sum of all wisdom comes from Christ, as we've learned in, in chapter 2, verse 3, then his love is just empty, idle. It's, a, just a, it's something on the mantle that can do nothing. It's dead. Your love has to be genuine. That love, that fullness, that, that, that love that, of, of the wisdom that comes from God must come from the word of God. And if it comes from any other source, be very, very careful. But here in verse 11, as we pick back up, he takes on another warning, another wrong that these false teachers were doing, and that it was legalism. And legalism is wrong because reality is in Christ and Christ alone. Not what the world offers, not what man offers, not what your flesh wants to desire and create. But it is, legalism is wrong. 
It is all about the reality is in Christ and who he is. And he says here in verse 11, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So as he's writing this letter to these Gentile believers in Colossae, they had no need or need to conform to any Jewish ritual or tradition of the Old Testament of the Mosaic Law. They were Gentiles. They weren't Jewish. They had no reason to be circumcised. That was what God did for the Israelites. That's an outward sign, an operation to show their covenant with God. And he set them apart from the Gentiles. You're circumcised. It was very obvious you were a part of the Jewish nation. Uncircumcised, you were a Gentile. You were not part of the Jewish nation. And so circumcision was this it was a sign that God given them. In Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 14, God's covenant with the Jewish people. And that was for them at that, for that point in time. But the problem was this, that God was setting these, his people aside, having them circumcised, so it was very clear that was his people. But they put their faith in the fact that they were circumcised, not in the spiritual relationship with God. They followed this, the outward signs versus relying upon what God was doing spiritually inwardly. And it happens in the church today. People look on the outward look of you and say, hmm, you're dressed a certain way. You can't be saved. That's not true. You go, you live a certain way. That's not true. It's about the inward person. It's the heart that changes. And as the heart changes, yes, the words out of your mouth will change. The way you may have gone and the way you dress that would be inappropriate would change. Where the places you go and where you're hanging out will change. Why? Because God did a work in your heart. And that heart will now change and you think differently. And when you think differently, your desires are different. And all of a sudden, the things of the world and the things of the flesh and the pride of life and the lust of the eyes, all these things that are happening that we struggle with as a non-believer, all of a sudden, as a believer, those things just fade away. They're no longer a desire of yours. Yes, they may, the enemy may try and your flesh may struggle and cause you to wrestle with it, but you don't love that sin anymore. You absolutely hate that sin and you don't want nothing to do with it. And you can't run fast enough away from it because it's no longer who you are. And it's a freedom then to be set free from your past. And your past does not dictate your future. And I love that. Because it just is freedom to know it's fresh and new with God and he's doing a new work and I don't have to bring along my baggage. It's pretty heavy. And he says, I've taken that baggage and I nailed it to the cross. You don't have to carry it any longer. Praise God, amen? So he's saying here, the circumcision, for in Christ they had been circumcised. He says, you don't have to outwardly go cut, cut. Snip, snip. I've done that work already in your heart. I've taken that sin that was around your heart and I have circumcised that heart of yours and I have removed all of that sinful baggage. It's a spiritual circumcision that was done by Christ on the cross, not by any man's hands. 
It's not by your own effort. It is not by someone else doing it for you. God has come in and taken your wicked, sinful, loaded down heart and just cut it away and it's clean. It was in fact a crucifixion or putting off of the body, a circumcision of the heart. And we see that also referenced in Romans 2.29 and Ephesians 2.11. But we see here the sinful nature also referred to as the body of flesh or the mind of flesh, because we think very fleshly ways, was decisively put off by Christ's death and resurrection. It was nailed to the cross. So often, religious people will go back into this Old Testament. We study the Word of God. We study the whole counsel of God from book <laughs> cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. We don't miss anything. You know if you've been coming here, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. We want you to know the whole counsel of God because the Old Testament is not bad. It's good. It's like a tutoring, a tutor to remind you of things. But when Christ came in here, many times people take the Old Testament and God warned his people to turn away from their sins and experience a spiritual circumcision of the heart. Things that God says you need to let go, he says, I've let go of it. Why? Because Adam, our, the first man who brought in sin that permeated of all mankind because they sinned against God. And because Adam was sinful and fallen and corrupt, it was... That permeated to all of us, and that sin had to be dealt with. And Jesus said, I went to the cross, and I dealt with all of that sin. I have dealt with all of that fallenness in you. I have dealt with all of the corruption that is in you. It has been nailed to the cross. It's all taken care of. Do you believe that I did this for you? And when you believe, you were set free from it. And that's why Paul says, now in him, in Christ, a believer is a new creation. All things have passed away, we see in 2 Corinthians 5, 5.17. A new life, having a new head. Satan used to rule my life and your life. The things of the world, the, the people that Satan was using and the figurehead and authorities of this world were ruling us. But as a child of God, as a believer, we now have a new head, a new authority, and that is Christ. In your Bibles, the H be capital and head. A new believer has a new authority, and we must no longer put the law, uh, the law as our authority. But Christ is our authority. Not the rules and regulations, but a relationship and being obedient to the love of, that we have for Christ, our Savior. The words putting off here in the New Testament is regarding our spiritual circumstance, uh, circumcision. And it means in the Greek word, it's a double compound word. It speaks of stripping off or casting away nasty clothes or total breaking away from. God is saying here to you and I, you had nasty clothes on. You stunk. You didn't even know you were stinking. Until God said, do you reveal your stinking? And you go, yes. I, I do stink. I'm a sinful man. How, how am I going to get cleaned up? How can I change? How do, can I stop what I'm doing? It's destroying me and everyone around me. 
And God says, I nailed it to the cross. I paid for all that sin. Put your trust in me. Follow me. And I'll set you free. And he says, put it off. You could take the old clothes will come off, and I'm going to robe you. I'm going to clothe you with my righteousness. I'm going to, I'm going to change your life. You're no longer going to stink of corruption, of sin, and fallenness. I'm going to make you new, clean, as white as, I love to hear the word, as white as snow. You know why I celebrate snow every time? Because it reminds me I've been made as white as snow. And so Paul says at the very end, it's a great and key word here, is that we'd like to look at this baptism. That baptism is, is this, this life that we have. Like he circumcised the heart. He also says baptism is an outward sign of what God has done in your heart. He circumcised your heart. And the outward baptism doesn't save you. But like he was buried in the tomb and he came out of the tomb. We too, the baptism gives you that picture of the fact that we have been fully immersed of, of burial. And when we come out of that water, we're bringing in a rising out of this new life coming out of that tomb and everything has been buried it's gone it's no longer to deal with you're cleaned and so he says here the this 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 co-burial this co-resurrection with christ when he died and buried our sins we were buried when he was resurrected from the dead we were resurrected from our death and he gave us new life the power of god giving you a new life, we see in Romans 6, 4. Now, he says at the very end here, through faith in the working of God. And it's such a key words for you and I. Because Paul understood that for you and I, to have this new life, to have a changed life, to be able to let go of the sins of the world and the things of the, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and the things that hold us down in the past. He says the way that happens is by through faith and the working that God did on the cross. He worked for you by nailing it to the cross. And by doing that work in and through, that frees us. It gave us freedom, a new life that we can experience in Christ. You don't, can't earn your salvation. You can't work to keep your salvation. You can't do anything except be obedient to the headship, the one who's over your life, who's Lord and the Savior. You just have to be obedient and walk with him by faith. And he says, it's through the power of God that regenerates a person's life. It wasn't in the baptism. It wasn't in the circumcision. But through the work of God touching your heart and continue to cleanse and work in your heart as he sanctifies you and does a good work in your life as you grow and mature in your relationship. Now he continues here in verses 13 and 14. He says, And you, being dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. How many of your trespasses? How many of your sins? 
all. All is all. All trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements uh, that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So before a person is freed or liberated to this new life in Christ, He is first dead in his sins and in his sinful nature. As we see when we get to chapter 3, also referred to as our earthly nature or our old self, the old man, as sometimes we refer to it. But remember, remember a key fact here, an important fact here. Before we receive this new life, you must recognize, and I must recognize, we were dead. We had no life. You may thought you created a good life for yourself in this world, but you were dead in your sins. You were dead spiritually. And you were dead in this this life. And before a person comes to a new life in, in Jesus, you must recognize you're not just some sick man who's looking to get to the hospital to kind of fix him up in a certain little way to help him to continue to live this life the way you've been living it. No, you and I were dead and you need to be brought back to life. So don't take this old life, sinful life and say, okay, I need a little bit of Dr. Jesus to help me on the things that are really kind of hurting me because I feel like I'm going to die from this because of this last thing I just did. And you say, God, can you just heal me from that and take me from that so I can continue to live my life I've been doing? No, he says you're dead and you need to be made alive. You need, I crucified it, I nailed it to the cross. All of it. Are you willing to give it all to him? To surrender all? So many times Christians struggle in their first walk with Christ because they give part of what they want to give to Christ. But they don't surrender all. They're not broken. They don't recognize they're just wretched, sinful, nasty smelling, and they need to put on his righteousness and get out of the old clothes. So they'll say, yeah, take, take part of it, but let, leave the rest of it. I, you know, I like that part of my life. And Christ has said, no, that, doesn't, that goes against my word. It's not who I am. It's not good for you. It's not it's going to harm you. No, I want it all. I want it all. Especially the pride. Oh, I want that pride. Because God knows if you hold on to the pride it's a guarantee what? Fall. And he loves you too much to want to just let you fall. So Paul continues here. He says, he says, God has forgiven you all trespasses. He's wiped out this handwritten writing of requirements that was against you here. He says this new life came when God forgave us of all of our sins. He's canceled it all. He's wiped it out. All the things that were written code, this handwritten of requirements. We see in Romans 3, uh, 19, that, that before God's written law, his written code to people stood condemned or guilty before God. So it worked against them and opposed them. But in Christ, the law is fulfilled in Romans 8, 2 and done away with Galatians 3, 25. It's been freed. It's wiped out. It's gone away. And this legalism that was creeping back into the church is completely wrong. 
Because believers are dead in the law in Christ. He's in, we're in Christ. We don't need the law any longer. He fulfilled the law. He didn't come to continue to drag the law with us. He fulfilled its demands, the law's demands in one's life. In his life, by his death, Christians are in him. So we're freed from that law. The best analogy I can come up with is it's like you go to the, your mailbox and every time you go to the mailbox there's this letter and in big bold letters out in the back is late, uh, late notice due, late notice. This in letter of indebtedness that says you owe this amount of money, you are in debt, you've stacked it up and you know you can't pay for it. You don't have enough money to even come close to paying for that debt. But that letter keeps showing up at your doorstep, reminding you you're in debt, you're in debt, you're in debt. And you know if you don't pay it, you're a criminal, you haven't paid your debt. And you say, what am I going to do? How am I going to be freed from this debt? It's like a ball and chain around me and making me sink to the bottom. Because you know you're unable to pay for that debt. You cannot. You know you're breaking the law by not paying. But let me give you good news, my brothers and sisters. Jesus took away that piece of certificate of indebtedness, that criminal charge against you for not paying your debt, and he said, I nailed it to the cross in my death. It's finished. It's paid for. You're never going to get another notice that you're in debt of sin. You're free. You're not a criminal. Matter of fact, this is a truth that many Christians don't even understand. Sometimes people say, well, God still look and see all that sin. No, the scripture tells us he's wiped it out. It's no longer there. He looks into your file. He pulls up the Google moment here and says, let me look at the files here on you and pulls it up and says, it's completely blank. There's no signs of, you, of any wrongdoing or debt or anything. It's completely wiped clean, as white as snow. So why do we ponder on our past mistakes and our past sins? and our past failures, and the past of people pumping in junk into your brain that was not true and not good. Why do we ponder on those things? We are not. That's all been paid for, been forgiven, let go, done with. We get to now freely live for Christ to do, not all about the do, don't do, don't do's, but doings, what are we going to go do now for Christ? What's, our future's in heaven. Our future's temporary in this earth. Let's, Lord, let's do what we need to do for you. This we Share the gospel and encourage those in the faith. Let me just live for you. I can't wait to go to heaven. That's what we should be pondering on. Not our past mistakes. Because that's where the enemy, that's where the demonic forces, and that's why it's so encouraging when you come to verse 15 and 17, 
God, Paul says and reminds us that Jesus, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding festival or a new moon or, a, or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. So by fulfilling all the demands of the law, Christ disarmed all the demonic powers and authorities that were using it against us. He's giving us triumph. We have victory in him. We can walk around, yes, in victory and praise him and honor him. Like, like if you had a victory of a war, you just went to war and you got victory. What happens when you come back from war? You're celebrating the victory that you had when you went to war. God is saying to you and I, you have victory over your sins, victory over this world, and victory over your flesh. You need to be celebrating in him. Because he has fulfilled the law. He has had triumph over this. And he has disarmed the demonic forces that come against you. And because he has victory, as a result of believers are delivered from these evil powers, which we see Paul very much specifically focusing on, these individuals who are spreading legalistic views. They're demonic. That's harsh, I know. Because so many churches, even today, are legalistic. And that's demonic. But that's what the scripture says. Read it for yourself. Digest it for yourself. So when someone approaches you and say, why aren't you not following the law in some form or fashion? You need to lovingly and carefully and gently help them understand the scripture and the error or the wrongness in the legalistic approach that they have in religion. We need to help them to understand what the scripture says. If you want to know what those legalistic laws are, go back to Leviticus chapter 11, Leviticus chapter 17. Go back to Deuteronomy 14. And they'll give you the laws of, uh, that they had to follow in the earlier days. But no one should judge you today of what you eat or what you drink because Christians are free from the law's legalistic requirements. God does not condemn those who eat bacon, praise the Lord, because I'm going to eat a lot of bacon here at Thanksgiving. And I can eat a lot of it because Romans 14, 1 through 4, frees me that the, the food that God says all food may be eaten since they were created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth, 1 Timothy 4, 3. So I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving. I'm looking forward to eating the bacon and the, and the ham and, and the turkey and whatever else comes in front of me. And I guarantee you I'll be giving great Thanksgiving for what I'm going to be able to partake in. Why? Because God has created this good, healthy food to keep me nourished that makes sure this body continues to work. Because it's getting too old and it needs all the help it can get. But not only did he disarm the power of demonic forces against us, but he also noticed that he made a public spectacle of them. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 2.8 as well, that how he, he, he took these, 
these, these powers of darkness, this, and the earthly representatives, the, 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 those who are subject to demonic, being used by you know, Satan to do his work. And I'm telling you today, if you haven't seen what goes on of killing babies and, and the, the, the wickedness that's going on in our society today, those individuals are being empowered by the demons. But as Christians, we cannot be demon-possessed. We cannot. Yes, they can deceive us. Yes, they can create fear for us, but they cannot control us. No, can they possess us? We're, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, and God is not sharing the house with nobody, especially with darkness. So we have all of the positive comfort and security in our relationship with Christ. If you, don't, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, yes, you should be fearful. Yes, you could be demonic possessed. Yes, you could be used by Satan to do his work, but not as a Christian. Why? Because God has disarmed them. You can, it cannot touch you. Maybe mess with you. But he says, but... He made a spectacle of them, that they would, they would sit there. Now, keep in mind, we, we saw this, that in their mind, Satan and the demons, and even the representatives, those legalistic representatives, those who were saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, they thought they were going to get rid of Jesus. That they were going to get, get put him on the cross and his death would get rid of him and they would never have to listen or be convicted once again. You know why people come against you as a child of God? Because the light that shines in you, because he dwells within you. Remember the mystery of God as a child of God, Christ lives within you. You have a light and when darkness sees light, it repels you. It doesn't want anything to do with you. So you get people that want to reject you and, and shut you down and push you aside because they can't handle the conviction that you bring by not even saying anything. You don't have to say anything. And you, there's some people you get around, you oh, that's a religious person. Oh, he's going to talk about Jesus again. And it just cringes in your stomach. Why? Because you're in darkness. That person's in darkness and they can't handle the light. So can you imagine, here's Satan and the demons saying, yes, Jesus is finally going to be killed and be dead and you'll no longer have to deal with it. No longer will we you'll be able to save the world. What they did not understand and know is that by his death and resurrection actually is the fulfillment of the mission that he was sent to do. And that's what brought power. That's what saved the world from their sin. They didn't know that was going to happen. If they had known that, they wouldn't have said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Why? Because the power is in the fact that he took all of our sins and nailed it to the cross. Hallelujah for all of us. And so as we see there, we can see that they're coming in and these religious people were judging, why aren't you following the law when it comes to the kosher food? Why aren't you following the law when it came to drinks? Regarding the festivals and the new moon and even the Sabbath. What do you mean you're not going to church on Saturday at a certain time? That's the only time, that's the only time of Sabbath. That's, that's legalistic. God said, do not judge those who serve and worship God every day. That's what Sabbath is for us. 
Our rest, our Sabbath is in Christ every day. So there's nothing, there's nothing that can happen or come against us, even when it comes to the festivals and the new moon and the Sabbaths here. These false teachers were trying to convince the people in Colossae that they must keep these ceremonies. They must do these things. They must keep a Sabbath. You must do these things. But Paul is saying, no, it's not in those things. It's just a shadow of things to come. Who was to come? Jesus Christ was to come and fulfill the law. Not to condemn it, not to say it's wrong. He used that as a shadow. Remember, when you see a tree, the shadow, it casts a shadow. Is the shadow the actual tree? No, the shadow is a reflection or the image of what it's casting. The law was casting the, the, the fulfillment of Jesus Christ when he came to this earth to die on the cross for us. So Paul is saying here that the shadow, the substance, is in Christ. That is what we've been waiting for. That is who we put our trust in. That is what we need to do. And you can go back to Matthew 5, 17, Romans 8, 3, and 4 to remember a shadow is only an image cast by an object which represents its form. And once we find Christ, we no longer need the shadow of the law of the Old Testament, the Mosaic law. It's been fulfilled. We are with Christ. Now we continue in verses 18 and 19. Now we see mysticism. We saw Gnosticism. We saw legalism. Now we're looking at mysticism and how and why that is wrong because the headship is in Christ. We see, let no one cheat you of your reward. Taking delight in false humility or in worship of angels and intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his freshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, capital H, Jesus, from whom all the body nourished and knitted together by joints and ligaments and grows with the increase that is from God. So those who turn a believer from the reality of who Jesus is and takes their eyes and turns them slightly onto the things of, a, of rules and regulations of men, the, the, old, the old ways, the old religious kind of things. That shadow that God has fulfilled, that the shadow of the law, will cause a disqualifying, or he refers to his, a cheat you out, of the reward of the prizes that God has for you. It will distract you from what God has called you to do. Away from the power of God working in and through your life, you'll be cheated from what God has for you. It's like a judge who disqualifies those who run the wrong way in the race. There you are, the race is going, the runner's going, and the runner takes a wrong turn and goes off the, the established path that the judges has set. And the judges notice, you've taken a wrong course. What is going to cause if you go off course? You're going to be disqualified. You're going to miss out on the prize or the reward at the end of the race if you would have you finished your race well. But here we see the fact that because that, you, that person has gone and turned off the wrong way in the race, so believers who turn from the faithful following of Christ and puts their eyes onto the things of men or religious things, you are being cheated out of your reward from him. And you can go back and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15 for more information on that. 
But some heretics who turn believers away from faithful service have a false sense of humility about them, which is only a form of godliness, but they deny the power in God. We see that in 2 Timothy 3, 5, and that's in Christ, Romans 8, verses 3 through 4. And that's what happens. That's what the legalists try to do. That's what false teachers do. If you're on fire for the Lord and you're just doing exactly what he's called you to do, then the enemy wants to come in and try to deceive you, to cheat you, to get you to get off course and say, are you sure you really need to go to church on Sundays? Every Sunday? Do you really need to read your Bible? Do you really need to pray? Do you really need to share the gospel? Do you really? Now, why don't you focus on these things? Why don't you just um, light a candle? Look at your navel and meditate for a while. Why don't you get dressed up and make sure you focus on your dress and how you're going to look the next time you go? Distractions. You don't really need to give to God's work. That's your money. You worked hard for it. Give it to another thing that's over here and save the puppies. Save the whales. Now, I'm not saying you don't save puppies and save whales. I'm just saying, what about God's work that he wants to do in saving people? Those who are lost. How about the orphans and the widows? who can't provide for themselves, let alone defend themselves. See, that's what's in the scriptures, the work that God wants us to do. But the false teachers will want to deceive you and take you away from the things of what God wants to do in and through your life of the spiritual gifts or gifts he's given you. But he, Paul is warning, don't allow them to deceive you or cheat you from your reward because they're going to have this sense of humility that all these religious things they're doing makes them look so humbled, so godly. They, and you can kind of get a sign, a, sin, a kind of sense of what they do here. Paul says, those who want to get your diversion off of Christ, they'll put it on something else. And he says, watch out, those who worship of angels. When you get together, they're always talking about angels. The devils, the demons, they're always talking about demonic forces. Or they're talking about angels, and they have all their little angels everywhere, and they go, oh, they're my angels, and they focus on my angels. Focus on my statues. Focus on this. Focus on But not Christ. The second thing is this, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. You'll watch, and you'll listen to what comes out of their mouth, and you can see that they're very puffed up in their religious religiosity but they're not holding fast to who Jesus Christ is as a Lord and Savior and yet when you do that my brothers and sisters when you and I stay and hold fast to the headship the authority of Jesus Christ then you and I as the body look at this verses here verse 19 the whom the whole body you and I are nourished knitted together by joints and ligaments, and it grows with the increase that is from God. You want to know what and how the church can grow? Keep showing up with regardless of how you feel. 
partake in the things that we do of worshiping of God, the studying of his word, praying for one another, asking for prayer, and watch you grow spiritually and watch the body grow spiritually. And when we're healthy as a healthy body, a healthy sheep will be got healthy sheep. You will have a desire to go help the person who's next to you who's dying, they're dead in their sins, just like you used to be, and they have no way out, but you have the solution. And you are compelled to tell them, regardless if they reject you or not. You can't wait to tell them the good news. Why? Because you received the good news. You received the new life. If you really love your brother and sister or your fellow man and woman, you will share the good news because they're dead and they need to be alive. And that's what Paul is saying here. Don't, be, don't, don't, don't get distracted because then you won't keep Christ as head of this and then you won't be, as a body, won't be nourished, you won't be knitted together and you won't grow, you will, you'll slowly deteriorate. Even then we see here in John 15, 5, it says, I am, a, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. So true spirituality does not come from compliance with laws because they're just a shadow. But by the connection with the life of Christ who is our reality. Without this, this vital connection to Jesus, the body of Christ cannot grow. And that's what this mystic mysticism, this mystical moments that come in and permeate into the church to make everyone feel good and goosebumps. And it always remembers, it's about to try to come in. The, the, the enemy always comes to try to divide the body with this types of false teaching. That, that teaching of mysticism and legalism never comes in to try to take all of you out. Those false teachers only come in and they prey on you who are weak or young and don't know the word of God. And they prey on you because then they can take and grab a hold of some of you and to, to take you away from Christ and take you back into a religious, worldly form, a godliness without power. That's why we want you to know the word of God. We want you to know when someone's teaching you falsely so you can be on alert and say, get behind me, Satan. I know that's not the word. I don't know where you get that from. I don't even care where you get that from. That's not in the word of God. Get behind me. And you call them out. And then you say, I love you too much, so come here, let me, sh let me show you what the truth really says. Let me tell you the truth. Because what happens if you're not careful that's how the false teachers creep in and you will, you will just deteriorate and you will not be healthy and growing. Now, uh, asceticism. We see here in verses 20 through 23, we'll end here. Citizenism, citizenism is wrong because it takes away an understanding the protection that we have is in Christ. The protection that we have is in Christ and not in the things of this world. It says right there, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. So Paul is saying here, okay, 
Legal, Gnosticism is wrong. Legalism is wrong. Mysti, you know, the mysticism is wrong. We, uh, the Gnosticism is wrong. And now asceticism is wrong. Why? Because this asceticism practices this vigorous physical self-denial and this, even the self-punishment in order to become more spiritual. And you have to then subject yourselves physically to make you feel like you're becoming spiritual. And a lot of times people will do that. And if you watch some of the religions and the cults that are out there, you must pray on your knees. And until they're bloody, that means you've prayed enough. I'm not going to, I'm going to isolate myself in the top of this mountain and I'm just going to look at my navel and hum all day long because I'm going to deny myself of anything of worldly. I know I'm naturally given, God gave me the natural gift, the sex drive to, have, to be married and have children. That's natural. But I'm going to deny myself and be abstinence even though it goes against what God's asked for me to be. Yes, you stay abstinence when you're not married. But once you're married, you're not to be abstinence, to be more spiritual. But what happens is this religiosity comes in and tries to get you to self-denial or self-punishment. And, and then you, the, the legalists say, if you don't do what I do, then you're not spiritual. That's just a heavy yoke that they're trying to put around your neck that God has not called you to have. That's not what God's called you to do. We're to be like Christ, not like man. The body of Christ is to be with Christ what he wants it to be, not what man tells us that what the body of Christ should be like. And the word of God is what tells us what the body is supposed to look like. Not man, not this world. That's why he says... If you died with Christ, why do you go, and you let go of the basic principles, the things this world, why do you subject yourself to the regulations, the rules and regulations, the don't do's and don't do's? You focus so much about it, the don't do's when you completely are missing what God wants you to do. Because we're so focused on all the other things. But Christ wiped away all of this because asceticism, if you ever met an ascetic Jew, down in New Jersey, the they're whole in New York City, just a, a plethora of Cidic Jews. These are ultra-right, self-denying, self-punishment type religious people. And they will, I mean, just there's no love. You'll notice there's no love that comes from them. You can always tell a legalistic person, even if they say they're really religious, there's just no sense love from them. They, you can hear them say they keep all the rules and regulations and they look at this form of religiosity, but you can tell by their, by their love that comes from you that you have been spending time with Jesus. By the love that God, the agape love that comes pouring out of your life, that's when you know you're talking to not a, a form of love, not a false humility, not a, you look good, you smell good, you, you kind of got the Christian-y talk down. That's not what saves you. But his love. And the cynicism rises out of guilt. But Christ wiped away all human guilt by his death. Colossians here, verses 13 and 14. It was nailed to the cross. 
So if you're sitting here today, my brothers and sisters, and you have guilt, have you given your life to Christ? Because he wants to free you of that guilt. But if you have given your life to Christ and you're still holding on to guilt, then you've been deceived by false teaching or your flesh in some way. And I'm telling you today, Jesus nailed that guilt to the cross. Be free from it. All the shame, all the guilt, all every, it's been nailed to the cross. You're free. Live with him. Live for him. Breathe, my brothers and sisters. Breathe. Have a wonderful time in your relationship with Christ. And since believers died with Christ to these basic principles, we are no longer obligated by fleshly tendencies to obey every appetite of our flesh. We no longer have to live like that. Only those alive in sin live after their flesh. But we no longer have to obey the master of our flesh, but our master, our headship, Jesus, and we're free from that. And you can go back to Romans 6, verses 2 through 7. And then finally, verses 22 and 23, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Asceticism is self-made religion, a self-made system of rules of do's and don'ts, and it's taken where they'll take the Old Testament and try to apply it with a little bit of a twist and put it in with this human commands and teachings, even though God said that's not what you have to follow. You follow me. But they're trying to get you to follow human commands and human teachings. And they take the Old Testament. Circumcision, of course, was the number one example. He says, yes, you need to have a relationship with Christ, but you also need to be circumcised. Taking the Old Testament, bringing it into the New Testament, and saying that is going to make you more spiritual and better with God. No, it doesn't. Paul says, no, it doesn't. God says, no, it doesn't. Living with such this, these regulations and self-made religions have a, an appearance, Paul says, of being very religiously wise. But it's absolute has no value in restraining the indulgence of the flesh, or another term meaning cannot restrict the sexual indulgences that the flesh demands. Sexual indulgence is another name for the flesh. That drives you for denying the body its desires merely arouses them. As well as know, know that many who try, and a perfect example I can give you is this. You've made a decision, I'm losing weight, and I'm going on a strict diet. What is the, what is the first thing that happens? Your flesh rises up against you. And every hunger pain will bring up to light. Why? Because you stated, I'm going on a strict diet because I'm losing the weight. And by denying the natural desires of food, you'll watch your flesh will come against you. It's not about a strict diet. It's about a healthy diet. 
It's doing what God's called you to do, following his way, being obedient. You're not def you're strictly def uh, defying the flesh. You're sitting there just being obedient to Christ. And what happens is the things of the flesh will no longer have the power. It will no longer, you won't focus on it. As soon as you say you're going on a diet, what do you think about? Food. It, it permeates in your head. You can't get it out of your head because you're constantly, I'm on a diet, I'm on a diet, I can't eat this, I can't do that, I can't eat this. No, eat, read, be content, don't indulge, overindulge, hey, moderation, eat healthy food, get rid of the sugars and other things that causes your body to fleshly to crave even more. And watch how God has designed your body to naturally lose that weight. God is saying the same thing as an example. I'm just saying this, this as an example. If you would stop focusing on the don'ts and just focus on a healthy relationship with God that pleases him, watch the things of the flesh no longer have the power and no longer you think about it. It just fades away. You don't need to program, my brothers and sisters, to get rid of the drug problem you have or the alcohol problem or the pornography problem, whatever problem. Focus on Christ. He nailed it to the cross. It has no, no longer has power over you. Let it go. Follow him and watch those things of the flesh just fade away. It's a beautiful thing to watch in a person's life. So remember, it is finished. It is Jesus who paid it all. It is he who gives us victory because he nailed it to the cross. And we must put all of this into daily practice. That is our responsibility. He's nailed it to the cross. Our responsibility is now to practice what he says. Practice. And yes, it's going to be some tears and there's going to be sweat and there's going to be aches and pains to get through it. But practice anyway, because as we fellowship with Christ, as we practice fellowshipping with Christ, regardless of how you feel, keep showing up as you worship Him in private or worship here in, 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 in the body of Christ here on a Sunday or any other time we gather together. When you worship Him and when you, you are in the Word of God and you're studying the Word of God and you're pondering on the Word of God and you're in prayer and you're praying for others, you will watch the growth happen in your life. It will happen. It's not a question if, it will. It's when. And as we yield to his spirit, the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, we receive the power we can do that daily. And it is in our fellowship with one another as believers that contribute to our spiritual growth. You want to know why you're not growing? Check how many times you gather together with your brothers and sisters in fellowship. And I can tell you, I guarantee you, where you stand in regards to the, if you're growing and maturing in your faith. So Paul is saying, you want us to see growth? The growth is in Christ. It must come from that by being together, growing together as a body, as a church, as other members, and the body will continue to grow. And it is a wonderful, wonderful Christian life when you understand that he nailed it to the cross.